0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this uh, episode of Sabbath School from Home. Uh, Very pleased to be with you. My name's Cameron.
1: And I'm Luke. And I'm Lachlan. And I think I've actually missed out on a few recent ones, but I'd like to point out that I have enjoyed listening back to them.
0: Uh, We often mention to our listeners, and it occurred to me today, that there's no reason why on earth they should be interested, Um, but where we are. And... um, I happen to be in Ken's house at the moment, but Ken can't join us, which is an odd <laughs> circumstance. So I'm recording on his computer, um, and he will... Um, I don't think he'll be able to join, but we'll see what happens. Um, today, uh, Today's lesson in the pamphlet for the SDA lesson quarterly is Mission to
1: the Reached. and No, no, it's Mission to the Unreached.
0: Oh, it's Mission to the Unreached, part one.
1: That's okay. right.
0: And we wondered if maybe part two was Mission to the Reached, and it turns out part two is not Mission to the Reached. Part two is Mission to the Unreached, part two. And um, we just thought it might be interesting to look at both sides of this, so we're going to today stick on Mission to the Unreached, and next week flip this on its head and talk about Mission to the Reached. In either case, can I just say that the Reached or the Unreached is a very odd way of describing people.
1: Hmm.
2: Well, it's an odd way of describing people in this specific context, because if your mission is to reach people, then then all people that your mission to is to are unreached. And all people who are reached, mm. you do not have a mission to.
0: Also, being able to be, reach someone, um, to be within arm's reach is a slightly ominous phrase. Um, you know, mm. how far did the disaster reach? I don't know. There seems to be slight sort of ominous, um, uh, the reached. But what constitutes someone as reached?
1: Yeah, I mean, this actually it just comes back to being exactly the same question as what constitutes the mission of God, right? So if the mission of God is the proclamation of a um, story about Jesus, then it's reaching them with that story. If the mission of God is the alleviation of suffering in the world, then then the reached are those that have been touched by the hands and feet of God in loving kindness in you know, a tangible way that alleviates their suffering of the world. If the re- if the mission of God is about seeking the kingdom and following the Holy Spirit, then I don't know what the reached is, other than to say that if we're to seek something, it's out there to be sought, and so the unreached or the reached um, becomes a slightly a slightly useless phrase in a way.
0: <laughs> well, look I, you weren't here when Luke and I discussed Venn diagrams but one could imagine a Venn diagram for different terms that the lesson seems to use interchangeably. And some, it will start by talking about our mission. And then it will talk about an activity that seems to be evangelism.
1: Mm.
0: And then it will switch from the term evangelism to leading people to Jesus. Mm. And um, then, of course, there's meeting their needs. Is like a separate, a four, Venn diagrams don't work well with four circles, but um you know, it, it seems to move between these terms in a way that's very fluid, that to me doesn't really help me understand.
2: And as, as I remember, Cam, we had we had an insight about the fact that the lessons seemed to make a very clear distinction between the mission and being someone's friend, that these were separate things. Hmm. And you did one so that you could achieve the other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do actually remember listening back to that episode. Uh, it was one I couldn't join. And I. I thought that comment, that insight, realising what if God's mission might be to be the friend. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's sort of how it lodged in my mind. I liked it.
0: Well, I've got another observation before we move on from this, and we need to onto today's discussion. But I, after that recording, which I found very energising, I went armed to Sabbath school the next day, energised with cool ideas from Luke and cool ideas, and sat in a lesson that was equally energising and went in a totally different direction. And it was fascinating. And the direction it went to was talking about refugees and foreigners. And I'd encourage the people who are listening to this, if you're following along on the lesson, go back to the lesson talking about our mission to the needy and our mission to the foreigners and the refugees and look at how clearly the language of the lesson identifies these people as them. Mm. Our mission is to these people who have needs and you know look at all those those people over there. we are called to help them.
1: Mm. and
0: it's so I wonder how that read in a worldwide church amongst mm. communities where people were in need yeah, in a way that the lesson was describing and and how pretentious is it? This is one thing I'd like to talk about next week on, on the mission to the reached the people in the faith community have needs mm And one of the needs is occasionally, if you're to take Jesus's behavior as indicative of this, is to be jolted out of our sense of Hmm. self-sufficiency.
1: Yeah, well, the same same comment that you just made about the topic mission to the needy could actually be um, addressed to last week's topic, mission to the powerful or the rich and powerful. Um, Because although... Probably just just the nature of wealth distribution in society. Probably fewer of the global readers slash listeners um, of the Sabbath School identify with the with the rich and powerful. But of course, um, the the fundamental reality is that even those of us struggling with living cost pressures in Australia are globally fairly rich and fairly powerful.
2: Well, yeah, that's exactly the point. It's interesting. You should say people identify with being rich and powerful. I, I saw something online the other day. It was on one of one of the social medias. Um, and it's pretty rare to see something of value on those to be frank. Um, but I thought this one was really good. It was someone recounting their experience of watching Dumbo in a, in a classroom context, hmm. you know, the, the the original cartoon Dumbo, you know. Um, as I mean, before he went rogue and terrorised the commercial
0: airways of the, you know, rogue mm-hmm. elephants up in the skies. Luke, exactly. Uh, great um, hazard.
2: But he, he was amazed that the bullies in his class who bullied him uh, all sympathised with Dumbo when Dumbo was bullied.
1: Hmm. You
2: know, they, and made the observation that, Everyone kind of thinks of themselves as as Dumbo. Oh. You're you, 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 you always everyone kind of puts themselves in the place of the victim, of the place of the one who's less powerful, even the very powerful. Yeah, and you actually see it in the public behaviour of really powerful, prominent public figures. Mm. You can see the, from the way that they talk and the things that they say that they think they're victims. Yeah, and they're being attacked and persecuted. You know, the most power, some of the most powerful people on the planet. Um, obviously identify themselves as, as being weak and, and bullied. This is so good. I'm inspired
0: now, having applied this lens to the previous two or three weeks of discussions. Let's apply it to this one. Mission to the unreached immediately hmm. infers that we have been reached.
1: <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> yes.
0: This is very much an us and them. Wouldn't it be frightening... If we were not, in fact, as reached by God, if we were not quite as infused with His um, love and kindness and spirit, um, and we were not quite as effective at being His hands and feet as we imagined we were,
1: yeah, there's one key word you left out. We may not even be in possession of quite as much truth as we think we are.
0: But, but if we, if you know, to this is when Je- when Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, so. It's not the well that need a doctor. A doctor can't do anything for the well. A doctor can help the sick. What he, In the context, what he's clearly saying is a doctor can only help someone who knows that they are sick.
1: Yeah, I've never read that to... to. It doesn't seem to me that Jesus is saying, you are entirely well. Yes. I don't think that's what he's saying in those situations. I think he's saying, you don't realise you are sick.
0: Yeah. And there is, there is a conundrum here, and this is one... Uh, I'm going to not state this as a prayer, but it's a prayer because it's a it's a challenge to us all. The conundrum is that the Acts gives to us examples of people who are filled with the confidence legitimately.
1: Hmm.
0: And this passage we're going to read, Paul regards himself as someone who has been reached very emphatically, hmm. identifies himself with the apostles. Acts also includes accounts like the seven sons of scapist or whatever the priest remember who are going out casting out demons we talked about this in a different episode um in the name of Jesus but then someone one of the demons turns on them hmm. and says i know jesus but i don't know you um <laughs> and beats them up beats up all seven of them which must have been a bit humiliating so you know the book of acts contains both the well placed and the misplaced confidence
1: hmm well, the the story that we want to get into is in Acts 17, and this is the well-placed confidence of Paul. Uh, I think, um, given our penchant for always claiming plans of going shorter and then, and then never quite matching it, we don't want to read the entire chapter as good as it is. I think we should pick it up in verse uh, 16, but I'm just going to read verse 15 to help us understand where we are. Uh, Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So here we are. We've caught up with Paul, who's been brought as far as Athens. And uh, I think we should pick the story up in verse 16 of Acts 17.
0: While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Um, Parenthesis, it cannot have surprised him.
1: <laughs> as a, a good point.
0: As a highly educated person. It's interesting. <laughs> Wasn't though, Paul Greek? He yes he was um, he was was, no he he was was Jewish but I think he'd grown up in a Greek culture being born into a Greek culture at least Uh, so he reasoned isn't that wonderful that he was not so inured to the culture around him that it still distressed him Hmm. Um, that speaks of something Uh, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God fearing Greeks as well as the marketplace day after day with those who happened to be there a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him some of them asked. What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, "Why well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the, oh, how do I say this, Are, Areopagus? Areopagus. 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 Excellent. Where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening
2: to the latest
0: ideas
2: (laughs) it's not it's not a completely inaccurate um description of athenian culture do you think
0: that description is meant to be a bit um like disparaging or like is it a like is there a suggestion
2: by the Mm. author that the Uh, that that, that's the way it reads to me uh the 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 phrase doing nothing but talking (laughs) um would certainly be considered disparaging if used to describe, for example, modern politicians.
0: Um, well, I had that. You know, how, what role tradition should play, and how much of the tradition is is the ultimate democratic institution because it gives votes to the dead, mm. the most obscure minority of all. That's what Chesterton said. Um, tradition allows our forebears to vote, as it were, on how we behave. Um, but then, of course, being both bound to tradition and completely abandoning it uh, are equal, um, equally um, problematic sort of attitudes, but just in opposite directions. Uh, one of my friends said to me the other day, we were discussing a, a different topic, but he gave me a quote. And I don't know where he got it from, so this is attributable to someone. Um, uh, the quote was, uh, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living.
2: Mm. yeah look that reminds me of of something i've often thought about which is is when a particular point in history is idolized um what it tends to result in and i'm not saying this is something which exclusively happens but what it tends to result in is the people who idolize that point in history try and recreate the the appearance of it Mm. or the surface level of it and in doing so a hundred percent definitely don't manage to recreate any of the spirit or truth or essence mm. of the point in history that they're admiring. So, look, that's
0: often a good thing. So, you think of the sort of nationalist movement in um, the UK, the UKIP party sort of philosophy that bemoans the the decline of Great Britain, um, despite the fact that great does not, in fact, mean great as in good, it means big. Hmm. it's bigger than Brittany, but Brittany is now part of France. So Great Britain is only great because it's bigger than a small bit of France. <laughs> that's, that's from David Mitchell. It's, it, he wants to drive that home. But, you know, you know, bemoaning those good old days when, when, when you know, the, Britain had an empire to be proud. Well, thank goodness that they don't actually espouse. Maybe they do. Maybe they do genuinely want the British army to march abroad and take over countries left, right and centre.
2: <laughs>
0: but you know, hopefully, hopefully, Luke, what they're aspiring to is not actually a a copy of what England actually was, because it was it was in many ways a very brutal. Mm.
2: Well, that's that's true. You've definitely identified the silver lining there. Um, I think uh, the point I'm trying to make is that in in idealizing something and trying to bring it back, they inevitably fail because. You can't, the things that are idealized in the past typically were periods of great innovation and and um, periods of time where people created new things. And it's literally impossible to do that while simultaneously idealizing and trying to bring back an imagined glorious past. You can't make something new by trying to recreate the old.
0: Or preserve um, the old, or keep it stationary is my crisis, Luke, as an Adventist, because um, I I think I would have been more comfortable among the early Adventist community than I am among the current Adventist community. Mm.
2: Well, that's because the early Adventist community was a movement, the Advent movement, and now we have very much the Advent stationary. Yeah, the Advent pr- preservation the, the, of the, yeah. particular, and and to even... The um, Advent fortress.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, we've distracted a lot. Um, do you want to pick us up?
1: Yeah, I can. I, I mean, I think, I think though that what we've just been saying is exactly the the fascinating framework to to evaluate what just comes next, um, because it's we are about to read of people that are classed as the unreached, um, and what I want to focus on this is what's occurring to me given what we've just chatted about. What I want to focus on is what's their reaction like. What's their attitude like? Um, because it seems to me it might not be particularly fortressy. Um, okay, so I'll pick up in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead.
2: When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the areopag <laughs> Areopagus also a woman named Damaris and another number of others
1: so the point that I was noticing is these so Paul has done a good job because he's connected in he's found a contact point that connects with their view of the world but he's also proposing some pretty new ideas and we read of people who are open to hearing new ideas so I think I think as much as the spending their time doing nothing except telling and hearing something new, as we read in verse twenty-one, I think that is a little bit um, m- mocking is too 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 hard. But it's it's poking a little bit of fun at. I think um, they do follow that up. They are indeed willing to hear something new.
2: Okay, so this this is an interesting thought that just occurs to me because of that. Because, yes, it does read as slightly mocking or slightly derogatory, but I would ask this, where else in the ancient world could Christianity have spread to mm. from the Middle East that would then spread it through cultural influence across the entire Roman Empire, other than Greece, the, the place in that part of the world, in that part of history that was into receiving and considering and disseminating cultural ideas mm. yeah the fact that the athenians did nothing but but listen and talk about new ideas is the very reason why christianity mm. from the middle east went to greece and then from greece to the rest of the roman empire
1: yeah i think you i think you're right and it raises the interesting question um i mean it's so easy for me just to assume oh but i'm not like the athenians i actually already have the truth but the question i'm wanting to ask is how open am i to hearing something new i'm picking up that phrase the the verse 21 in the new living translation um reads now the athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new and i just quite like that phrase hearing something new
0: Mm. i'm reminded like of um eric magnuson and um he for our listeners who don't know um was one of the first science graduates um, at Avondale. Um, When he was there, um, they studied locally, but actually passed their exams through the um, University of London, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, And he later became a president of Avondale, and um, he had done two PhDs, and in one of them, he had worked at a university that had the first computer in England (laughs) and had worked for about 50 years um, on covalent bond theory. And I was lucky enough to be on a overland, um, on the overland track walking through Cradle Mountain, six-day hike over 80 kilometres, and he was there. And he's a, a, sort of a quantum chemist, and um, he's since passed away. But, uh, so the quantum chemist is there. My friend Wes, who's an undergraduate student in chemistry, was there. And uh, Crystal was there, and Crystal was in grade 10. And Crystal was just learning about covalent bonds and very innocently asked at the start of a day's walk. She was a very curious person. Um, and a um, very capable person, and called him Professor Magnusson. That's right. At the start of one day's walk, uh, said, um, Professor Magnusson, you're a chemist. You're, you're, you've are you studied chemistry. He said, yes, I've studied a bit of chemistry, which was a bit of an understatement. She said, we've been learning about covalent bonds. What are covalent bonds? And that had sort of been one of his areas of expertise. He'd, he'd worked in that covalent bond theory for about three quarters of the history of covalent bond theory. Yeah. And he proceeded to uh, uh, start on covalent bonds and keep a discussion up that kept Crystal interested and Wes interested, and Dad was there and he was interested and he's done postgraduate studies, though not in chemistry, in physics, but um, the overlap with the quantum uh, world is is stronger. And um, Eric kept... Simultaneously, three or four people at different levels of understanding, fully occupied for about fifteen kilometers, and then <laughs> then they walked into a about hut.
2: Three hours for anybody about three who hours doesn't, doesn't know hiking.
0: Yeah, speeds and speeds very well. We walked into Kiora Hut. Oh, hello everyone. Hello. Everyone. Oh, well, you see the crystal structure of so and so. So we had three <laughs> of people in the hut, and then they dived into one of the little bunk rooms and sat there for another two hours. <laughs> and we got some strange looks from people in the hut, but he. He was a person who just f- couldn't imagine life without new ideas.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: The appetite for newness, though, Locke, I think we have to be really clear, is not a virtue in and of itself.
1: Yeah, um, because there are some new ideas that are not good ideas.
0: Yeah. So this, is, this gets us back to the concept of tradition. Uh, one of the design features of community, which seems to be God-endorsed, is that we are by inclination um more receptive to different aspects of Christian faith. Mm. So there are people who by personality love finding a new idea, and there yeah. are people whose personality inclines them to preserving a tradition. And um, I, we are admonished to say you know the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. That's a challenging verse. We don't We don't have to tolerate people in our church or even mm. love them. We, we have to tolerate them and love them and recognise that we need them. And the danger is that people on this spectrum at either end are very inclined to see the other people as, as yet unreached. Yeah. The traditionalists who uh, see immense value and resonate so strongly with the traditional way of doing things, look at these people who are departing from the truth mm. and they need to be reached they need to be reached and re- returned, like the prodigal. Hmm. Um, and the people who are enamoured with, with who, who just delight in new ideas, in the same way that I delight in a rose garden, it's, a, it's sort of an aesthetic experience. You, you hear something and you say, oh, that's just so amazing. Um, the, the, the temptation is to then look at the people who are stuck in tradition and say, these people have not yet been reached yeah. by this great new idea. In fact, the more I think of it, this reached and unreached, presupposes it necessarily presupposes so it's not mission to the those who have not yet found god presupposes it, that we are in the right
1: yeah i think what it might mean is mission to the people who have not yet found god the way i have
0: it, well it let's is. say no let's say i'm going to rephrase it then let's be strict mission to those people who have not yet been reached by god and that might not be the. Well, it's hard to yeah, say so, but, God's reaching it, out to it, people all the time, but no, it's but not the exactly. people that we haven't reached.
1: Yeah, see, but even when you say, I agree, I like what you're trying to do, trying to find a, a way to make it more productive by a little bit better definition. But Paul's argument here in Act 17 is, in fact, the, the other way around. His argument is, you haven't, you have been reached by God. Look, you've got an idol already to God. Let me tell you more about this, God. It's not that you're unreached, it's that. There's meaning fundamentally unreached. It's just that the, the you're not the, you're missing out on an extra bit of insight here. So so the mm. thing that you have already been reached by is only the kernel of an idea. Let me flesh it out. Isn't um, it
0: delightful, Locke, that he is distressed by the idols?
2: I'll tell I'll tell you what's even more delightful.
0: And then he it, starts his speech by saying, "Oh, I tell you, what, you guys are great. Look
2: at yeah. how religious <laughs> yes. you are." I was I, that's one of the things I was going to say. He's being very diplomatic. He he's, he's constructed a compliment sandwich. Yes. Don't know. Don't know if you're familiar with that phrase, Cam. So, compliment on each side, and then the unpleasant truth in the middle. <laughs> at the schools I've been at, it's been called a poo sandwich. So it's been identified
0: by the bit in the middle.
1: <sighs>
2: well, I suppose that is technically how you. Uh, describe sandwiches. (laughs) Um, You don't say a bread sandwich, do you? Um, But also, um, he quotes Greek philosophers in his argument. He's speaking their language. So to do that, he must have read Greek philosophers. I know there is a school of thought in Adventism that you should read nothing but the Bible and Ellen White. I've heard this Mm. espoused. Well, Paul obviously disagrees with that conceptually, because he's clearly read Greek, Stoic, and Epicurean philosophy. Yeah. And he's read enough to be fluent with, to recall in the moment spontaneously, yeah. <laughs> to, to weave it into
0: his presentation seamlessly. Yeah. Um, Locke, you've talked in the past about the command in a previous season to seek the kingdom of God. Yeah. Might not just mean to seek God for ourselves, but to look in other people for signs yeah. of God at work. And that seems well, to be what Paul's doing.
1: That is, I mean, that's how I see it. It's not only in 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 other people, right, for signs of God's work, but in in other. This is how I see it, in in other traditions, um, in other cultures, in uh, in ecosystems. I mean, if we're really, if we're really engaged with seeking the kingdom, I mean, God, Jesus admonishes us to seek it first, so it's a priority to seek the kingdom, and. Um, there's lots of different ways you could hear that right, but surely one of the ways that you could understand that to be is if it is if it is true that God has sent His spirit into the world and that God's spirit is at work, which is the way Jesus describes what will happen uh, you know as he's getting ready to ascend, um, then it should not be surprising we We actually shouldn't be surprised. To have an experience like paul does here where we encounter something which both uh, which both troubles us and excites us the troublingness is because we see ah there's an element here that is not as clearly r- cognizant as it could be of the exciting truth that we want to share but just as validly this is really exciting because before i got here god's spirit must have there is there is I, I have stumbled upon, in my seeking, I have stumbled upon a um an outpost of the kingdom. Mm. To me it suggests just a fund you know, because I think the way we so often approach this this idea of mission and this idea of evangelism and this idea of um trying to spread or proclaim or share our picture of God to the world, is that we presuppose sort of hostility we presuppose a kind of what well, we you know we we resonate really hard with other parts you know in corinthians where paul writes you know we're preaching something that the world is confused by we preach christ crucified and um this seems to be a strange sort of hero story for us to try and tell so there are, there are certainly very valid elements to that story but i think that there are also some times where what we're proclaiming is just you know haven't you ever had the experience where you've heard someone express something i had this happen two weeks ago i was at a um, a research workshop, and I heard someone with experience present about um, the challenges of forming a startup company out of academia. And he presented about half a dozen different frameworks that gave useful verbal articulation to some of the challenges. And I said to him afterwards, "I I have thought many of those thoughts, but not had words to put them into." And listening to your presentation was an absolute joy because i felt like it articulated something that i that i sort of did know um but wouldn't have been able to actually communicate that's that's a little bit like uh, my feeling of what the athenians that are convinced by paul are sort of experiencing here They're saying, you know, there is something really, really resonant about what you're saying. It really hangs together, and it's kind of what... I had a half hunch. You know, that's why we had this statue. (laughs) I had a half hunch about it, but you've really been able to articulate much more clearly. Now, Paul's done something else because he's actually added extra information, extra knowledge to them because he's been able to share with them the specific story of Jesus and his resurrection. Um, Mm. But, yeah, there's there's a sense... I think that we can all access a little bit what their experience might have been like. Yes.
0: You know, it's interesting. I'm going to nominate something that's my closing thought because I'm looking at the clock and then you guys can have closing thoughts. I'm trying to find a reference, two references. If Ken was here, I think he would want us to refer to the road to Emmaus, where their hearts burned within them as they listened to Christ. And, of course, they did go and try and reach people who are yet unreached with the message of the resurrection. But they were not able to do this in any real legitimate sense until they had themselves been reached. Mm. You know, mm. it was only after they'd encountered Christ. So, you know, our prayer needs to be constantly, and I said, Locke, in an episode where you weren't here, that I hope God subscribes to this podcast because I want him to hold us to some of these statements. <laughs> nice. This is partly the nature of the prayer. But, you know, can God actually reach us? despite our own stubbornness and our own feelings of self-sufficiency and, um, you know, if he wishes us to share something with other people that they don't have, Mm. um, he he has to provide us with an authentic experience. And I'm reminded of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee said, thank goodness I am not like this man. Mm. That, for anyone who belongs to any faith community, is a challenge. It's not even a faith community. If you're an atheist, I'm so glad I'm not like these deluded religious people. You know, that's that. It's not tied to Seventh Adventism or Christianity or any particular viewpoint or any particular political party. We just tend to gravitate to this mindset. I'm glad I'm not like them. Mm. I'm glad I'm one of the reached, not like these people that are the unreached. Mm. If that's our mindset, then we we do not go away justified in the sight of God, according to that parable. But the man who, who can't even look up to heaven and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Hmm. He's the person that God identifies as the someone who has been reached by
2: God's grace and redemption.
1: Yeah, he, good challenges. The f- problem
2: with talking in any specific term is that it makes you
1: think in those
2: terms. And the problem with thinking in terms of reached and unreached is that it requires us to use our own criteria to determine who is which. And I don't think we're very good at that as people, generally. Yeah.
0: If you if you use the criteria of the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbour? Well, anyone you can help is your neighbour.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, in practical terms, that becomes a lot easier. Well, anyone you can to... help
2: and anyone who helps you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I think this is um, just a, a really excellent... We're, we're drawing towards a conclusion that reinforces your proposal cam for our next episode we need to flip this around and talk about mission to the reached equally problematic because of the use of the same dichotomy reached unreached but if we do at least look at it from that side then we might be better equipped to actually walk away from this distinguish like, the differentiation
0: and lachlan can i say uh, this is going to be the real summary of the episode because it really does summarize um, particularly one of your contributions, which I like, uh, you identified this as a dichotomy, the reached and the unreached. They are both very fictional states. Um, what we really need is a discussion on a mission to the partially reached,
1: yeah. because that is
0: that is exactly the framework that Paul <laughs> oh, brings together yes. to Athens.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, and it's a very relevant comment, Cam, because who these days hasn't heard of Christianity?
0: Ah, oh, that's true. too. But what do
2: they know about it, really? In, and, and including many people who profess to be Christians. Okay. Yeah. We really do have to stop
0: because I'm eyeing <laughs> the clock. And um, thank you to our listeners. Um, it could be that you also enjoy new ideas. Um, it could be that uh, you don't enjoy them. And the truth is that we are really interested to know what people think. We, we have these discussions because we find it to be useful among ourselves it's also the case that um although the discussions never we never have trouble filling up an episode there's always a lot to say and it's really fun having a meeting of the minds these four particular minds that meet on this podcast tend to be aligned more or less um in a broad outlook on life and um it could be that you do disagree with us and that there's legitimate feedback that needs to be given, or it could be that you found real encouragement from this and that feedback's also welcome. Whatever it is, you feel free to email us at um, School from Home at gmail.com. And uh, please share this podcast and if you find it helpful um, and uh, join us next week.